Amen. That is a powerful song that enters us into this holy week where we walk together towards the cross. We are starting a new sermon series today, and this series is going to last us for a few weeks, and we're going to be looking at what it means that Jesus did work for us on the cross. I find that a lot of times in church we talk about um, what the kids were talking about today, that Jesus died for our sins, but there's a lot more that Jesus accomplished in his time on this earth and his work on the cross, and we're going to be looking at that over the next four weeks. Today we're looking at the idea or the truth that Jesus is both heir and king. We're going to be talking about what that means in this world and what that should mean to our lives. We're going to start by looking at the scripture of Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Here's what the word of God tells us. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of them, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. As I was studying this week, as I was praying, as I was drawing near to God, I kept leaving my prayer times with this one thought. I wonder if you've ever thought this before. Kept leaving my prayer times wondering, how in the world did we get here? How did we get here? Some days I was wondering that about myself. (laughs) Alyssa, how in the world did you get here? Both in the good sense and then in the frustrated sense. Some days, the question that poured out with me was, how did we as humanity, as human beings created in the image of God, how in the world did we get here to a place, to a society, to a culture that is so full of division, so full of hate, so full of talk that puts us and them in different categories when really... We're all of one body. How did we get here? 
I think a lot of us this week felt broken and hurting for families who sent their children to school, believing that they would come home safe. And having that hope violated violently by the actions of a deeply broken human being. And I remember specifically on that day, sitting in sorrow and wondering and crying out to God, how did we get into a place where somebody can hurt so much that they could be so broken that they would act in such a way to hurt others so deeply? How did we get here? I believe, well, I wonder, that if on the morning when Jesus woke up, on the day that we call Palm Sunday, I wonder if he woke up, got out of bed, whatever that looked like, maybe having slept on the floor or in a cot. I wonder if he dusted off his feet to begin a journey and thought to himself, how did we get here? How did we get here? I wonder if he thought, why is it necessary for me to take this walk from this beloved place in a mountain to a city that hates me? How did we get to the point where I need to take this walk knowing that the end of the journey is death? Not a quiet death that happens at night, but a violent one where all of his senses are torn asunder. You see, Jesus, his journey did not begin on Christmas morning when the person of God came to live with us in human form. No, the, the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus, has existed for all of time. In fact, Jesus was part of creation with God and the Holy Spirit. The three of them in community together were the ones who created the heavens and the earth, were the ones who said, let there be light, and there was light. And they said, let there be flowers and plants and ferns and palms, and they called it good. Jesus was there to be a part of that creation. Not only was Jesus there to be a part of that creation, Jesus was there to witness perfection. Jesus witnessed human life in the Garden of Eden. Jesus helped create that perfection. And he was a part of relationship with man and woman, with Adam and Eve before they decided to change all of what God created and made perfect. So I wonder if Jesus got up on that morning, which I call the beginning of the end, right? Because it was the beginning of the end of his life, his human form life. I wonder if Jesus thought, how did we get from that place of perfection to a world that is deeply divided and broken, 
where people that God has helped over and over again still fight with each other about who God is, about who God isn't, where people are torn about where their allegiance lies. Does it, does it lie with the Roman authorities? Does it lie with God? Does it lie with the rain gods or the, or the sun gods or the crop gods? How is it possible that these people that we created have turned so violently away from their creator? I think about Jesus on that morning getting up, dusting off his shoes and beginning that journey and step after step thinking, this is the end. This is it. I am headed into a place that does not acknowledge me. I'm headed to a people that do not love me. I am headed to a cross that will crucify me. And I wonder how he kept moving his feet. Because as much as Jesus was God in this moment, Jesus was also fully human. Jesus felt pain like we feel pain. Jesus felt denial and betrayal as we feel betrayal. Jesus knew what was ahead of him. And he kept walking. Step by step, he walked, knowing that in front of him was suffering, knowing that in front of him was pain, knowing that in front of him, he would see the people that he loved and trusted most on this earth, he would see them, witness them, watch them turn their backs on him and leave him alone in his darkest moments. I marvel at the fact that he kept walking. I marvel at the fact that a man could love so deeply that he would continue on even knowing what was ahead of him. But that's the truth that we need to come to learn to sit with. That's the truth that was given to Adam and Eve in the garden that they turned away from. That's the truth that you and I were given in our baptisms if you've been baptized, that we're given in our salvation if you've asked for salvation, yet we still turn away from. And that truth is that we are deeply loved. That truth is that you are so loved, so loved, that in the moment that Adam and Eve turned their backs on God, God put into place a plan to save us. That in that moment, God knew that God would have to suffer, that Jesus would have to suffer, that there would have to be brokenness in the Godhead, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that there would have to be a ripple in that community in order for you and I to experience freedom. In order for you and I to be healed, in order for you and I to live an eternal life in heaven. Jesus, knowing that the only way forward for the rest of humanity, not for him, Jesus has never done anything wrong. 
This wasn't for Jesus. This wasn't for anybody but you and you and you and me. Jesus kept moving his feet because we are deeply loved. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem into this city where he was hated the most, somehow, some way, people's understanding of God finally, for a brief moment in time, became clear. You see, all this time Jesus had been spending in ministry, it was uncertain who he was. It was uncertain what it meant that this man kept talking about God and all the things that God was going to do. Some people called him teacher. Some people called him prophet. Some people just called him a nice guy. Some people called him heretic. But in this moment, in this brief glimpse, we see a whole crowd of people who were in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover because that's what you did to be a good Jew. It wasn't about God, as it was about performing. It was about showing up to church, right? I mean, you're all here. You're good Christians now, right? That's what matters. They all showed up to Jerusalem because that's what you do. You go to Jerusalem for Passover. And in this moment where there are more crowds than you will ever see at any other time of the year in Jerusalem, Jesus enters the city and the people realize, they recognize that there's someone different in front of them. They have been waiting for a king, this Israelite people. They have been waiting for a savior. They have been waiting for someone to save them from the oppression of the Romans. It's kind of like us. I don't know about you, but I'm waiting. I find myself waiting for somebody to come and heal this world. I'm waiting for somebody to come and fix the division that we see. I'm waiting for somebody to come and take all of um, our TVs and our phones and throw them in the lake because we don't need them anymore, right? Heresy, I know, child, I know. (laughs) But there's so much division, not just seen but perpetrated in those spaces. And I want a savior to fix that. The Israelites wanted a savior to save them from their oppression from the Romans. The Israelites wanted a king to come and make them renowned again because there was a time and place when they were well known. There was a time and place when they as a kingdom, as a united group of people, were lifted up. But that hadn't been the case for a long time, and they were looking for a king to wage war against the world in which they were living in. And they knew that Jesus was the person. All of a sudden, in that moment, they saw the king that they had been waiting for. But this king did not come on a chariot, which is what you would think a king would come on. This king did not come on a horse, which again is way more appropriate than what this king came on. This king entered Jerusalem on a humble, stubborn, obstinate mule, donkey. This king came not with legions of people following him. This king came with his lowly friends, not aristocrats, not Pharisees, not Sadducees, not the most educated, but the most humble of friends. Nobody's in their world. And the people noticed for one brief moment who was in front of them. 
And they cried out. They said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, our king is finally here. It's like a whole bunch of hoorays. Hooray. Finally. Finally, we're going to get what we want. Finally, we are going to be saved. What they didn't know is that the way that Jesus was going to save them was not through war was not through the Romans, was not through establishing them as a protected people in this area. No, the way that they were going to be saved was through death. But in this moment, there was nothing but joy and hope. In this moment, they took off their clothes or coats. They weren't naked. They took off their coats and they placed them on the road before Jesus which was a symbol of giving their allegiance to this man riding the donkey, of giving their allegiance to this new king. Jesus came not only as part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus came not only as Savior, who would die on a cross. Jesus came to claim his kingship over all of humanity, not just the Israelites, not just the perfect ones, not just the holy ones, but all of humanity. And it begs us to ask this question. It's a question that's posed here in this scripture. In Matthew, we see the people crying out, the people participating in the hubbub, because that's what we do, right? There's a little melee. We see everybody gathering. Oh, what's that? And we go and participate, but we're not quite sure what we're participating in. And so part of the crowd asks this question. Who is this? (laughs) They're waving their palm branches. They're putting their coats on the ground. They don't really know what they're doing. And they ask, who is this? And my friends, that's the question I ask you today. Who is this? Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus part of history? Was Jesus just a nice guy who taught some nice things? Is Jesus the Son of God to you? Is Jesus your king. You see, we get a choice today, we get a choice every day, to choose who is going to lead us. Are we going to follow the patterns of this world? Are we going to seek after glory in this world? Are we going to follow the patterns of a man who got up one morning and walked his way straightly toward death? Are we going to follow a man who sat on the humblest of creatures, and entered a city knowing that he was going to die and doing it because he loved you so much? Are we going to continue to follow our own wisdom? That's usually my favorite go-to. First, I figure out what I think about something. First, I figure out my plans, and then I think if God's going to fit into that or not. That's not what we're asked to do. 
That's not what being led by a king means. A king is somebody that you give your authority to. And so my question to you today is, are you going to take off your coats and place them under the feet of Jesus? Are you going to take off your coats and give your life to the one who gave up everything so that we could go back to that place of perfection that is found in the garden? Because the promise that Jesus gives us is that the kingdom of God is both now, right in this moment, and to come in heaven. We don't have to wait for heaven for our life to be better. We don't have to wait to pass away in order for this life to have more meaning than it does today. Jesus dying on the cross brought to us freedom and joy and peace in every moment of every day of our lives. But in order to experience that, we have to give authority to our King. What does that look like? Giving authority means that Jesus is in charge. Giving authority means that we change our expectations, that we stop expecting things to look the way that we want and start expecting them to look the way that God wants them to look. And it also means changing our values. Jesus rode in on a donkey on purpose. That was not on accident. Jesus was reminding us of what's most important in this world, and that is humility and love, not just for ourselves, but for others. So as we enter this holiest of weeks, I ask you, I beg of you, to spend some time on your knees before your God, renewing your allegiance to Jesus as King. Because the only way for you to experience the kingdom that Jesus rules over is for you to give your life to the one who gave his life for you.